1: NY or text hope NY in New York.
2: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how are you doing, my friend?
3: Doing well. Uh, excited for football to be back. And I know what you're thinking is like football isn't back, but we got our winter workout updates coming up on Twitter of the of the competitor of the day, which means we're just... Moments away from Chuck, talking to Chuck Losi and then spring football, spring break, all that stuff. February is a super short month. Like after the, the marathon, marathon that was January, we're into a short skip and a jump and it's March and then football's around the corner. So I'm excited about that.
2: Anything that gets us football is a good thing. T. Frank, who, by the way, for those of you who are watching on the YouTube channel from BWI, t frank is resplendent in his michigan shirt today i appreciate that <laughs> t frank
3: yes the number one most controversial thing on this show is not something i've said anything that our uh hosts have said before it is just this shirt color combinations uh in sports i gotta remember it's like one step away from a gang where it's like oh you're not wearing my colors it's like this is just my, this is my going out flannel this is the one i look best in so that's why i wear
2: it on screen it won't look good it's a very good look, T Frank. I'll put and, on some uh,
3: khakis next week. How about that? Make it just really start and, to like turn the screws on people and the ball cap.
2: Well, it's yes. either that or go to your, uh, what is it, scarlet and gray flannel shirt.
3: So I have a bunch of Utah stuff I don't wear on camera out of respect for Penn State fans who would lose their minds if I did that. But, you know, my wife being from Utah and going to Utah, like, I, you know, I, I try to be a supporting husband. I'm start wearing that. Like, I, if, we're, if, if we're doing this for just flannels, I'm just, whatever, I'm just gonna wear whatever.
2: Well, let me get this straight. You're okay with wearing Michigan colors, but Utah, you're not.
3: Well, it's literally a Utah-branded Uh, pullover so like I'm there's no association it is directly tied to the university where this is just blue and gold this is just an unfortunate color combination this is I bought this from like uh, Kohl's or something
2: T Frank you know what I'll, where's the Utah next week? Let's see what the reaction is. It'll be an experiment, but I right. don't think Penn State fans will be as concerned about that. All right, before we get started on football, I just want to make another announcement, another reminder. Next Monday, February 12th, we are going to be doing a live remote from Cafe 210 in downtown State College, something we're really looking forward to. We are working with the new group at Penn State called Teammates for Life. It was begun by Shar Marek Curtis, legendary field hockey coach at Penn State. Shar will be there that evening. We will also have Carolyn Keeger, head women's basketball coach. That team is playing really well this year. We are going to be live on the air from five to six but we'll be there from 4.30 to 6.30. I know there's also the wrestling match that night. Jeff Byers will be there prior to going to the wrestling match. So if you want to meet Jeff, get a nice dinner, something to drink. Landon Tengwall will also be there. Kendall Skalicki, the newest member of the Keystone Sports Network team. I'm going to try to drag T. Frank out of his cave <laughs> and watching a football video for a night. As I Mm -hmm. mentioned, there's going to be great food specials, drink specials. T. Frank, those of us watching on the YouTube channel, Mm. Pulp Daddy, latest beer coming into uh, State College. It's a Penn State grad, is the founder. Trust me, I've had Pulp Daddy and served this at my tailgates. It's always a hit. It's my favorite beer. Being introduced to the cafe Next Monday, the 12th, you definitely want to try that out. So we look forward to seeing you if you're in State College. All right, T. Frank, let's move on. Let's start talking some football. Mm -hmm. And over the last couple of weeks, you've been writing some great articles going position by position with the Penn State football team. And you finally hit the quarterback position. And actually, you put out a couple of articles about the quarterback position. There's always a lot to talk about with Drew Aller especially. And I want to start with a quote from your article where you said of Drew Aller, the talent was tantalizingly close to blooming last season. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell us what you meant by that. So there's a lot of
3: things that Drew Aller does that don't show up in the stat book necessarily because, and when they do, you'll know. So his ability to read a defense was consistently good last year. It was pulling the trigger and executing and throwing into those windows and not being pathologically at times, conservative with the football, that I think was the narrative of 2023. But like the the ability to read a defense, and let me back up and, and you have to understand the expectation that I come into with this a lot of times, which is most quarterbacks on the college level can't read a defense, and especially as a first-time starter. So what are your expectations of his ability to produce? and most quarterbacks what they're able to do you have your first read on a play you know there's progression and there's concept based most quarterbacks are reading things via progression which is i start at this route combination or this route and then i work to a second a third read and a check down if i have time to get to those and most quarterbacks get to their first read and if it's not there they short circuit they just they either run they scramble their eyes um start to panic or they just check the ball down and a lot of offenses, like I think specifically in this situation, talking about offenses that short circuit, Indiana, uh, Illinois' offense in 2023, watching what they did on film coming in, everything was predetermined. The quarterback threw the ball or he ran. Those were his options. And Drew Adler had the latitude and the ability to operate in an NFL style, which is I'm going to read the first progression. If it's not there, I'm going to get to my second progression. I'm going to find guys on the backside of the play and make the defense wrong no matter what, because I know based on what I'm seeing, my post snap diagnostics are good and I know where to take my eyes and I know where to throw the football. He did that consistently last year uh, to the tune that he was one of the best quarterbacks in in all of college football on his second read his uh, yardage attempts. Uh, were all consistent, not only with being one of the best, but being at the same level that uh, you had Sean Clifford at in 2022, a sixth-year quarterback. So the floor for Drew Aller was quite high as uh, as a, as a quarterback in his first year starting. It was just the high end of that that he never quite got to consistently.
2: Was there ever a situation where perhaps Drew Aller was too quick to go to his second option? And sometimes it ended up with him checking down and going for the short yardage instead of uh, the big play, as we talked about all season. Not
3: as much as you might think, but yes. So there were times... These things develop, nothing is in a vacuum, right? So these things develop over time. You see him come out in the first game against uh, West Virginia, and it's very different where he's throwing the football down the field. He's attacking the vertical concepts. He's, you know, throwing the ball while climbing the pocket off platform to Keandre Lambert Smith for a touchdown. And then you have the game against Delaware where they had four players deep at times um, and dropping eight and putting extra players in coverage where those aren't open and his job is to throw the football to the guy that is open read the defense and take what they're giving you the problem was as the season went on they were giving you less and less and they predicted what you were going to do so you had to at some point take some of those calculated risks and in the first progression throw the ball into either an anticipatory window or uh, throw to a guy that isn't clearly wide open. It's something I talked to him about at the end of the season. And he said, he acknowledged this, you know, talking about open versus not open is that high school open is very different than college open. And he had to learn that as the season went on, by the time we get to the Indiana game and the Maryland game, he was doing those things and getting the ball into those tight windows. The problem was it wasn't consistent. It was not throughout, there was no linear progression and growth that you could observe in his game. And one of the reasons I think that personally, I was so frustrated by the bowl game was he reverted to a lot of the things that happened early in the season and he didn't build upon those things that he had learned you know, at the end of the season against uh, some of the the teams where he was able to find guys open and make those explosive plays and make those big plays. So it was, that's the uneven part. That's the tantalizingly close is you see him do it. You know, he knows what he needs to do, but the consistency of execution wasn't there. So from first progression to second progression, there were just uh, issues with him having the confidence to pull the trigger but knowing what you're supposed to do in football especially that position it's not even half the battle it's three quarters of the battle and and from that mental aspect he was different in a lot of
2: ways than than first your starters and a lot of just generally college quarterbacks i'm going to tie the wide receivers into this conversation t frank because it, it it's all tied in together mm-hmm. we kept here the word separation was used a bazillion times this season and talking about the Penn state wide receivers and that lack of separation. How real was that? And how much did that play a part in all of this?
3: Yeah, it was real. It's real. And that's part of the conversation that we have about um, this particular topic. So there's, there's two sides of this is, you know, um, is the first read a clear picture and does he have to fix the situation by being special? There were times where he, yes, that was the case. There were also times, and you're never, quarterbacks aren't perfect, that he missed some of those reads. But the picture wasn't clear and consistent for him throughout the season. And you worry about developing bad habits. You worry about doing things that aren't part of the, again, the linear growth story of a quarterback getting better at this over time. And that is, I don't want to say it stunted his growth, but it did, you can develop bad habits. And I, I looked at, you know, the first read and the second read, um, and how all of those things broke down for him. Looking at his the, the number of yards he had and the touchdowns and the efficiency on the first read, that's the area where Andy kotelnicki can make a major improvement for Drew Aller. is just give him a clear picture on the first read. Don't make him work so hard in the pure drop back progression game as opposed to, you know, the RPO or some of the other augmentations in the passing game. When you have pure dropback passing, Make that first read a little bit easier because the best quarterbacks in the country, they feast off open reads on their first read and then they get to those second reads and they're still good. You're never as good going to your second read as you are just throwing to the open player that is either schemed open or got open. And there was a lot of, you know, all three parties in this situation were guilty for not being cohesive in getting that that particular part of the puzzle solved throughout the season.
2: Next segment, we're going to get into that RPO and read option, but just following along that path, can a new co- offensive coordinator get the quarterback those easy passes, which James Franklin talked about, to get him going and in rhythm?
3: Yes, and that is a part of what Andy Colnicki brings to the table, is a lot of this progression uh, on the first read, getting players open through scheme, formation, shifts, and motions. It's not all about that. Sometimes it is about the route combinations and making sure that you have, uh, you know, solid concepts versus coverages. But it is taking advantage of RPO, making the defense um, in a situation where they have to make choices and then exploiting those choices for the quarterback, making the windows bigger, the pictures easier and not making it all pure drop back progression.
2: Very good, T. Frank. That's going to be it for quarter number one. As I mentioned, quarter two, we're going to start to get into the RPOs and the read options. Stay tuned for that. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. We are talking Penn State football. Specifically, we're talking about the Penn State offense and quarterback Drew Aller. Uh, T. Frank You've been doing a series of articles, which, by the way, have been fantastic. Please, I know I do this every week, or I should be doing it every week. Tell our listeners, I know there are some of ours from Keystone Kickoff Show who don't subscribe yet. Tell them how they could get a hold of everything you do with blue White Illustrated
3: yeah so we have a special thing just for uh the blue white illustrated youtube and podcast listeners and for our people on the radio here that are hearing it now you use and i can put it up here you can use your special offer of psu1 you use the promo code when you sign up you get two months for one dollar uh at bluewhiteillustrated.com so you can try out in the off season you know heading into spring football what are the things you need to know uh use code psu1 for two months you get it for a dollar the normal the normal thing is you get 1 month for a dollar but because we love you here on the podcast side and you support us already we want to give you a little bit more uh bang for your buck literally uh getting those 2 months. So that's how you sign up now.
2: That's fantastic for those of you who aren't watching on the YouTube channel. T-Frank hits the button and it flashes up on the screen the whole You We're it in it my dojo like this week. That,
3: yeah, so so
2: inside baseball,
3: we're in my recording software, so I have all my stuff up here like I would for the normal uh, BWI live show, so I was able to throw that up there.
2: <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to do this more often, T. Frank. I'll have to send you some of our, our graphics and things to put up there, we there go. too. That, that'll that be fun. All right, let's keep going with our conversation about Drew Aller. And, and it was fascinating. A big part of the Penn State offense are these RPOs and read options Mm -hmm. First of all, so everybody understands what we're talking about, T. Frank, explain the difference what an RPO is and a read option.
3: That's a great place to start because they're used interchangeably and they're not, Um, but they both do the same thing in a certain sense. They both augment the run game. So an RPO is a run pass option. Where the quarterback has an option, both are option plays, where this situation, the quarterback has the ability to throw the football if there is a certain look from the defense where he can pull the ball out of the belly of the running back and throw to a receiver. For everyone else on the play, other than the receiver running, the receivers, because sometimes there's more than one route, running a route, and the quarterback, it's a run play. So the tight ends, the offensive line, the running backs, they're all running a run play until they're not. Which is why you see in the nfl you've seen a lot of this as it proliferates upwards they have a much more they have a tighter window of where the offensive linemen are allowed to be on the football field so you see more ineligible downfield and a read option is a run augmentation that is a run play with an option for the quarterback to run which means he's reading one of the players, typically the end man on the line of scrimmage at defensive end, and what that player does dictates who keeps the football in that same mesh point. So they look the same, and that's part of the point, but they do very different things. And if you're if you're uh, applying this to Drew Aller, RPOs equal Drew Aller. Read option equals Bo Prabula more often than not.
2: And for those who have been listening to our show, they know my feeling on the read option with Drew Aller. Right. There's no option if he's never going to keep it. Yeah. So I don't understand why they stuck with that for so long, T. Frank. But just to also understand, sometimes with that read option, the cor- it can be set up where the quarterback does have an additional option if he pulls it out from the running back yeah. where he could still throw the ball, correct? Yeah, you have
3: essentially two tags on the same play where there's an RPO and a read option. Or another way to think of this is it's a triple option. You know, it's old school triple option football where the quarterback can then throw the ball to a receiver or pitch it out to somebody else in the flat, some other option where the quarterback can get rid of the football before he crosses the line of scrimmage. So there is this, I, I think what old school fans don't realize is this is a resurgence of yesteryear football where you're trying to eliminate as many variables in the passing game as possible and, you know, kind of a, a throwback to a lot of what you used to be in college football. And that's a lot of what Andy Kodelnicki did last year uh, with his, with his offense and some of the things he did to try and spark uh, explosive plays and putting defenders in conflict.
2: So we are going to continue seeing RPO and read options with Andy Nicky. do you think?
3: So that is the biggest question. You know, looking at their offense last year, what is coming to Penn State? Because I would say last year's offense doesn't fit Drew Aller. There are elements of it, and I've watched Buffalo film, and this is why it was important to me when I first was getting a read of Andy Kotelnicki to go all the way back to Buffalo and some of the players they had there who were not as mobile, not as athletic as the guys that he had on that Kansas roster. So there is, uh, the RPO is coming. RPO football is going to be a part of what Andy Kolnicki does. And I think maybe more effectively than what they had, uh, under Mike Yersich where some of the RPOs were perfunctory. They were addendums to the play. They weren't as I think a bigger a part of the, of the actual passing game as they were, as they will be with Kolnicki read option is a part of it, but how much is he going to see what happened last year and go, okay, Drew's not comfortable doing that. Either we need to teach him the confidence or we need to augment this to take that out and still keep the advantage that the offense has from having those elements. They have to find, that's a, that's a fine needle to thread. And then you throw on top of that, Bo Previel is the backup quarterback. James Franklin has been adamant that he's going to be a part of the offense. So how do you craft an offense that uh, satisfy, satisfies all of those briefs? mike yursich and i i also don't think this is necessarily his fault that's hard to do and he didn't have a consistent wide receiver core to augment the passing game and and make everything better so kodal nikki he's the next one up to see if his creativity can spark something in this offense to make all of that gel but tbd like i genuinely have watched the film everywhere i don't know what he's specifically going to try and do and i don't think anyone else does because that's the whole point of what he is about andy Nikki is tailoring the offense, and putting guys in the best position to succeed. Not my system, my way.
2: Well, T. Frank, it's pretty easy for me to look at the read option where the quarterback's option is either to give it to the running back or keep it himself. As you pointed out, that's Bo prabola That's not Drew Aller. That's pretty simple for a fan to look at and see. But now the RPO is typically designed to simplify things for the quarterback. They make one read, decide whether to give it to the running back, or make the throw. Mm -hmm. So how was Drew Aller at that part of it? And if he struggled, why was he struggling with it?
3: So he was, I don't want to say he was bad, and this is kind of the point is, I don't think there was a ton of pure RPO football uh, in this offense last year, despite the fact that they had a lot of RPOs. So I guess what I mean is from what I see from Andy Kotelniki, the RPO is downfield more than it was with Mike Yersich, where you have there's there's different levels to the defense. The third level safety, second level linebackers, corners underneath defenders who are playing five uh, uh, four to nine yards off the line of scrimmage. Then you have the first level of defense, which is the line of scrimmage behind the line of scrimmage. Penn State's offense was screen heavy in the RPO sense, where there was a lot of RPOs of, if you've got the numbers out into the field, you throw the screen. If not, you give it to the running back. Andy Kotelnicki more aggressive with this. This is more of what you see from maybe Steve Sarkeesian, where we're going to have an RPO, but we're going to run a post. So the receiver has to be fast enough to get down the field. We have to have enough of a threat in the run game that the will linebacker steps up. We create that void. We create an easier window for the quarterback. This is also where the running game pairs with the RPO and using some of the zone concepts we've seen recently to stretch the field horizontally is another part of what he's bringing to the table. So it's going to be different. I don't think that Drew was bad at reading this. Some of the pure RPOs that they had against Ohio State, he did a good job. But for the most part, um, I guess the point I've always felt about this offense under Mike Yurcich is, okay, so he's gotta read if it's a screen. He's gotta read if he's gonna give. He's gotta read if he's gonna keep as much as these are all simple reads when you stack them on top of one another it becomes a workload in itself of i've got to make the right decision in a split second on every single play even the ones that are supposed to simplify things for me and i you know going back to 2021 and some of the stuff they were doing with Jahan dotson and trying to get the run game going that way this is all on the quarterback's plate so what's too much What's a What becomes a burden instead of a support system? And Andy Kotelnicki, the way I've heard him describe it, it's all tried to be same as teaching where we're going to have different plays and maybe all of our RPOs work the same way where you're reading one thing instead of having to read numbers, read coverage, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's evolved from what it was originally into this really complex and, and um, intricate decision-making process that... As much as it is simple, I just think the burden of too much of it can also weigh on the quarterback, which we saw. Like eliminating some of those things, is Aller just never made the decision to keep. So you're not making a good decision, even when you're trying to make an easy decision.
2: Let's talk about. You hit on the idea that it within the Kotelnicki, there may be more deep balls as part of the RPO. Yeah, that's got to excite Penn State fans. You said we didn't see the big plays. But as you always say, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything ties into this. So what about the wide receiver position? Is this going to be easier for them, more difficult, or are we going to say again, boy, they can't get separation?
3: So this is one of the areas where uh, it is – we talked about first progression reads – if you've got one read on a play it's a first progression right so if if it's a run play with an rpo tag and he's running let's say uh, a post a more aggressive play where he's running five seven yards down the field then cutting a a vertical angle trying to get a bigger play that is a that's the first progression and the idea is penn state's running backs are such a threat that the linebackers have to step up you probably have a safety in the box already so now it's much more one-on-one football the free safety, in the depending on where you are on the field, can be all the way on the other hash. He can be right over top of the X. I'm just imaginary situation. This is the X receiver, the short side of the field. He's running a slant or a post, and it's supposed to open up a big window for the quarterback to make it easier for the quarterback and eliminate a lot of that uh, junk for the receiver to run through. Now, if a team runs cover one, and it's man coverage on the backside the receiver still has to win but you're giving him the advantage of taking away things from the overall structure of the defense so that he has inside leverage like all he has to do is win inside and get open that is where you would hope a guy like Julian Fleming with his size and physicality and good linear speed I, I think this is an area where maybe he wasn't the target of this stuff in the Ohio State offense where he can be in this particular offense.
2: You beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you about, you know, Julian Fleming and would he make a difference? And are there receivers on the uh, roster right now that you think will be able to take advantage of these changes from Andy Nicky? Right,
3: I think it's on Nicky, to find the guys that can and then give them the opportunity. Because uh, no one has really changed fundamentally who they are on the roster. They have to get better. And a lot of these guys, that's going to be on how much making things maybe simpler and getting them to play fast will allow those skills to develop.
2: Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number two. Stick around. Quarter three, we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hello, and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. And we call this segment Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. He gives us a spectacular, perfect answer. And you know a lot more about football then. All right. If you want to send a question in to T. Frank, real simple. All you got to do is download our app. Just search on Keystone Sports, where you get your apps. Go to your app store and you'll download it. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button and away you go. Just like Bob from New York did. Bob said, we have heard very little about class of 25 quarterback commit from Colorado, Beckham Kritza. Yep. What can you tell us about him? And with Zoller's on the radar, does that mean two quarterbacks in that recruiting class T Frank?
3: It could. I think that's the, that's the end goal is to have those two quarterbacks into, I don't want to say steal a quarterback, but uh, find a loophole where both guys are comfortable being a part of the program. So that is the the to answer the second part, that would be the goal. And having both the keeping both those guys until they sign on the dotted line is going to be a part of, you know, the marathon of 2025. Beckham Kritza, let's talk about him and what he brings to the table. The first thing that he has is I don't want to say unnatural, because we've seen a lot of really strong armed quarterbacks, but like the whippiness, the the delivery of the football, and the arm strength are like they stop you when you're watching, go, okay, I have not seen this as often where it is so v- uh, violent. The velocity is impressive on his football. He is, uh, let me, he's got to be, I think, 6'4, 6'5, 6'6. Um, and he's 150 pounds, maybe. Like he's <laughs> rail thin. He is 6'5, 185. So he is, he has this massive frame, this super strong arm, and a lot of traits. So he is very much a, we're going to take a gamble that if all of this stuff hits and he blooms into a 6'5, 215, 220 pound quarterback who moves well, has quick feet, athletic abilities. I don't want to call him a runner, but he can move and extend plays. And he's got this arm talent. Ooh, I, you know, it's not the same one to one comparison as a Will Levis, but that's the type of play I see from Beckham Kritza he hasn't uh, he's moved around a lot I think he was a part of the NIL uh, surge of kids trying to go to states to try and find NIL opportunities in high school and now he's back in Colorado where he's starting. And that's been part of his journey as a guy that hasn't had a lot of football experience because of all the transientness. So his senior season, I think is going to develop and determine a lot of what he's going to be at the next level, how he progresses this off season in terms of physical development, because you don't want 185 pounds in your quarterback position. Uh, He is a thinner build. So he looks like a basketball player, but, in a football sense, like 6'5", even if he's thin, you can still get to that, like, Lamar Jackson look of 215, 220 pounds of really well-built football player. And I know I'm throwing a lot of different comparisons, and they don't all mean, like, one-to-one. Hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say here, but there's a lot of talent there with Beckham Kritza and why, you know, I think Penn State was willing to take his commitment, irrespective of coordinator, position, time, all those things. The talent there is too
2: much to pass up. What I heard you say is he's the next Lamar Jackson.
3: Yeah, and Will Levis,
2: you know? (laughs) I just
3: And yet he's not, I I don't even think he's like an athlete that runs the football. Like either of those guys. Like they were just the guys that came to mind in terms of like talent and and body, whatever. Hopefully you get what I mean.
2: I want to be that guy who takes one name and just, just runs with it. And I think unspoken from Bob's question is, that ability to keep two quarterbacks which is yeah. really difficult to do and we know the issues once they get on campus keeping them away from the transfer portal is always an issue also but especially for a guy who's from Colorado yeah to come all all the way here to penn state uh let's see let's go to uh let's see oh let's go to ed in arlington who says who among the class of twenty four are you particularly interesting in seeing? Who is it that intrigues you in this class, T. Frank?
3: Oh, uh, this is a class full of intrigue. That's I. You know I. I like this class almost as much as twenty twenty two because the frames that come along with this class are insane. Uh, six foot. I, I did uh, just a you know a quick height and weight update from the the recruiting players the freshmen that are on the roster already on the official Penn State roster you have guys like Cooper Cousins is not even close to the tallest player in this class he's one of a couple guys that are 6'6 or thereabouts. so you've got Egan Boyer 6'8 Cooper Cousins 6'6 uh the shock was that T.A. Cunningham came in at 6'5 I want to say and we thought he was closer to 6'7 um was it was the question who intrigues me the most?
2: Yeah, who who intrigues you? I think what the point is like. There's some obvious guys, Luke Reynolds, uh, Cooper yeah. Cousins, who are so highly ranked, but those are the maybe the best recruits. But who are the intriguing ones? Well, ones that you're just really curious about. <laughs>
3: Well, we, don't, we know almost nothing about Kari Jackson because of an injury and, you know, just for me, film availability. So a three-star player that could be great, you know, I don't know. Uh, from what I saw of him as a junior, Mike Linebacker, six one and a half, two twenty. 220. Um, so w- what is he? Like, literally, I don't know. He kind of reminds me of Jerry Cross, where Jerry Cross came in with some film, had some obvious skills, but had no idea about what he really was as a football player. And I've seen less of, of Kari Jackson. I'm still going to say Garrett Sexton. You know, you talk about intrigue in a guy who hasn't done it yet because he's not big enough to do it yet, but 6'6 six, six half, two sixty five, 265, unreal length, unreal movement skills. This dude could be special. You know, and Egan Boyer is the same way. 6'8", 250, got to grow into the frame. I, But just from, from an athletic standpoint, Garrett Sexton is one of my favorite players I've scouted uh, and I've seen play on the high school level who I think has you know, NFL level talent, um, if all of it works out and he gets to the size that he should be because uh, he's naturally strong. He's throwing dudes around at 225 and 250. So what happens when he's 310 and he gets through the Penn State weight program? So he's an undersized guy who has violence in his heart, but is a great <laughs> kid to talk to. So I just like, I don't want to say perfect, but there's just so many indicators that show me this dude could be really, really, really good like maybe a complete offensive lineman from a run and pass protection standpoint, a guy who can be like Olu, you know, his, his ceiling is in the same area. And, and I just like, even though he is according to on three, one of the top hundred players in the country, I still think that like, that's the guy that intrigues me the most.
2: You know, T Frank, you talked about the size of some of these players. I was at an event with the incoming freshmen uh, the other day and I I'm five and a half foot tall, so it doesn't take much for me to have to look up, <laughs> up to someone. Okay, they're they're six foot. I gotta look, but some of these young men who were like you said, six five, six six, six seven, oh my goodness! But what I found intriguing with a lot of them, T Frank, it looked like they had room for more weight to be put on them. Yeah, um, yep. even, you know the the biggest ones that they carried it well. There was nobody yes. who was you know what i'll say sloppy or whatever that oh they've got the baby fat there wasn't much of that to be seen yeah okay let's move on let's go to walt in south williamsport who says based on what you've seen from tom allen t frank how Mm -hmm. do you think this defense will look different
3: um it'll be simpler up front front and more complex looking uh in the secondary that is what I think he'll do based on what he did at Indiana and what he said in his introductory press conference that he believes in. So this is important too, of like the context of what these people are saying as opposed to just what's on film, because the question that I keep getting that's, uh, you know, an offshoot of this as well. What's he going to do when he has more talent? Is he going to play more man coverage? Is he going to be more aggressive with his corners? The corners have to be great either way. They have to have instincts. They have to drive on the football. They have to be uh, really, really good at football, but good maybe in different ways. And that's where I think if Penn State fans want more Manny Diaz, it's going to be different, but it might result in more interceptions and less tackles for loss and sacks. Generally, things are simpler up front. You know, there's some Brent pry to this of we're going to do a run slant to try and beat zone pressure, but we're not going to do a run slant with a twist and then have the linebackers cross. And then we're going to get somebody open in the a gap because we just did. And I made a bunch of crazy hand motions, but when you break it down, it all makes sense that everyone's hitting their gap, but there's much more of I'm in the a gap. And I'm in the A-gap from this defense. Instead of, I'm in the A-gap, but look over here, and suddenly I'm in the C-gap. There's less of that. On the back end, there is like, hey, we're going to run cover two. Psych, this is cover three cloud. Or, hey, we're going to run cover four. No, just kidding. We're going to invert to cover one, and we're going to take our safety from all the way over here and play him in the flat on this side, trying to get you, based on what you do on offense, to throw us the football. So if we know that you like to run deep crossers, there's gonna be a guy waiting to jump a deep crosser on the other side of the football field. So trying to anticipate an attack and change, and as Tom Allen said, change the picture post snap, change the windows post snap, so that the quarterback makes a mistake, because going all the way back to what we talked about in the first segment, most quarterbacks aren't good. Most quarterbacks aren't going to diagnose in time what's happening, and they're gonna throw the ball to the other team. At Penn State, the goal here for Tom Allen is to have enough pressure so that these decisions are sped up more than they were at Indiana, where suddenly not only is the picture changing, but now I have to make a decision. Like there is no time for me to sit back there because even if you blitz, even if you don't blitz, we're getting home and you're not going to have a comfortable pocket. And then those athletes to make those special plays and break in coverage. That I think is the goal of Tom Allen's defense, not necessarily to change it all that much, but like Andy Colnicki. I don't know you know these are my best assumptions he could get here and say you know what we're going to increase our cover one man coverage usage from 20% to 25% and that would make a market difference on film you would see more of it but it wouldn't be a flip I don't think to Diaz who was running at almost 30% of the time.
2: How much of an adjustment is it for players on defense to go to a new coordinator and I realize it, it depends on how much is being changed, how much is being yeah. brought in, but just in the natural scheme of things, changing coordinators, changing things up, how how much adjustment time do they need as players? Um, it, I
3: mean, it varies from player to player. That is where you get into that f- intrinsic talent of, uh, you know, it's in the same idea of body control where I just, okay, you asked me to do something different in two reps, I know now to how to feel that, and it's different and it's fine. Then there are people who need a lot of time to rep things out and make it muscle memory. So let's just take one example from Manny Diaz where against pulling plays, especially counters, they'd have defensive ends crash into the backfield and trap the running back by pinning the puller, like in the A-gap over top of the center. A lot of teams will just slow play that and spill it where you come down the line of scrimmage. So now you need to not make a mistake and run upfield. Everyone is expecting you to, to slide and close that off and suddenly you're in the backfield because you, learned, you your muscle memory took you to the wrong spot. So just as long as it takes to fix that,
2: I guess. All right. Feel very good, T. Frank. That is it for quarter number three. And ask T. Frank, when we come back, I'm going to ask T. Frank about Matt Zoller's potential next Penn State quarterback. Stay tuned for that. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T Frank. We're talking Penn State football. T Frank, other than quarter three when we talked, uh, asked T Frank, quarter one and two. We were talking about quarterbacking. We were talking about current Penn State quarterback Drew Aller and everything surrounding him. Let's talk about a potential future. Penn State quarterback, and that is Matt Zollers. Mm-hmm. He is a Pennsylvania quarterback, and you talked about him. Let's let's hear from you about him. 6'3", 205, from down in suburban Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, I think Springfield High School.
3: Yeah.
2: Is he just another one of these quarterbacks that follows in the footsteps of Drew Aller and Ethan Grunkmeyer who blow up, as they reach their senior year of high school?
3: Yeah, potentially. Um, There's a lot of things to really like about Matt Zollers and clearly college football really likes him. He's gotten offers from uh, a bunch of sec powers and you know, the national landscape has taken notice of him. So yes, you know, he has the opportunity to become not just a guy that, uh, but to be potentially top, another top 10 quarterback in this class that everyone's fighting for. And he happens to be in Penn state's backyard. That's, that is a, a, a real potential for him and and some of the things that he kind of like beckham kritza you know we talked about earlier in his his abilities there's a lot of tangible physical talent here uh zollers is athletic he he's fast he's explosive i think he's elusive in a good way i wouldn't say he's the most he's not dynamic in a way that you know like a saquon barkley or somebody who's super elusive but he's you know he's he's super athletic and can make guys miss and he's got a really good throwing motion so he's not a brad mandler product to my knowledge i don't think he is he's uh you know from philadelphia not from ohio (laughs) but has a similar throwing style has that rotational throwing style so he can throw from a lot of tight windows in the pocket he can throw off platform he can throw with his feet not on the ground and be accurate there there's not a lot on film that makes me think he has accuracy issues you know and this this is the conversation we need to have here quickly before we move on is that i'm scouting at this point when when they commit to penn state i i dive into the full tape that i can find i give you the inconsistencies i give you the full picture right now my opinions and everything i'm telling you are all based off of the highlight film what we see and what we don't see and and for for zollers his ability to throw from multiple platforms and give a picture of being hyper consistent with his accuracy is absolutely in line with a guy like Ethan
2: Kronkmeyer. Uh, You mentioned that throwing off platform and even throwing without his feet on the ground. I don't think you want him doing that a lot though. (laughs) No, no, you definitely (laughs) don't. But the fact that he, and it's twice, you know,
3: like on the, on film it's twice and he does it correctly twice you know so from a from a technical standpoint of even if he's off the ground he's still bringing and i'm i'm not an expert on these things but i've you know talked to people that know and you know have explained it to me and try to on film see the same thing and you know he he still keeps a consistent mechanical throwing motion in all of these situations which is the point and that's the hard part that's the secret sauce of do you have the ability to no matter the situation keep your mechanics the same that's an athletic trait you know, that's the ability. We talk about body control and all those things that you can feel it. You know which muscles to move and how to do it consistently each time. And I see that in Zollers quite a bit. So you you really like that from Zollers.
2: The other quote that you had where you said he can run, but he could also scramble. Yep. I like hearing that. That reminds me, I think, of Trace McSorley, who I thought was very – he was a (laughs) capable runner. I don't want to – see, I'm doing the same thing. I don't want to do – but what I liked was Trace McSorley's ability to scramble and still throw the ball. I feel like that's where big plays happen in college football.
3: Yeah, so somebody else uh, else said, uh, Oh, yeah, here's another Trace McSorley clone, we, we I think as Penn State fans, we do need to have a moratorium on comparisons to Trace McSorley. Because here's the thing, if you're 6-3, and you've got a good arm, that's no longer a comparison to Trace McSorley, because part of McSorley's characteristics were defined by his limitations and his ability to maximize those. So if you have a player that has more abilities, And can maximize those you are now in a different class of quarterback so you know i know i'm the person that compared somebody to lamar jackson and will levis that couldn't run necessarily the same way i did but i you know (laughs) from the penn state perspective let's take a break and i know bo perbula makes this hard because even james franklin makes these comparisons we need to just take it we need to cool it on on the McSorley comparisons to every quarterback that is gutsy let's say a winner and all those things
2: I should have known when I put the name out there, but what I was really trying to put out there was just that one feature of being able to scramble yeah. and differentiate scrambling from running. You talk oh, about the sure. guys who, yeah. who you know it's they make one read and then they run. And I think so many big plays happen in college football when you have a quarterback with the mobility and the um intuition to move around in the pocket, scramble, that's when guys break open and yeah. get open yeah. deep. Like you mentioned yeah, and- the the West Virginia game where Drew Allen made the long throw and it was from scrambling that created that play.
3: Yeah and by the way I'm not uh it the the, the reason I said that is because I've had several people in several different platforms say hey Trace McSorley," and I'm like no okay no that's 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 why i know you're exactly right what you're saying in your comparison and your specific traits of evaluation is, is spot on of trace mcsorley could extend the play and kept his eyes downfield and that's another thing you see on tape from zollers and the way you like i like the way he operates the offense so that's something that you're you're spot on about and this is the another potential player that can bring that level of um, playmaking to the position that Penn State is starting to get on a run with, with quarterbacks that have these abilities to throw with accuracy, precision, and and really what's left then is the decision-making and the discernment of... Am I passing up my first read to go get that big play or am I playing within the confines of the offense and the first read wasn't there, so I need to scramble and give them the opportunity to get open in whatever situation. And that's really, to me, when we talk about these quarterbacks, I don't like guys that scramble to make big plays because I still need to see them operate within the confines of the offense. That's where you get most of your plays. If you're going the Johnny football route, the Johnny Manziel route, and you're not understanding what you're seeing on the field, that's going to lead to ultimately a dead end because good teams will, will flush you from the pocket and let you make mistakes.
2: You brought up another feature when talking about Matt Zollers that I, I think is also pretty important for a quarterback. You talked about his abilities on, when he's under pressure, mm-hmm. and it sounds like he does a good job, which reminds me of another quarterback. No, I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> not going to do that. But I yeah. do think it's important, T Frank. Because the nature of playing quarterback is you are going to be under pressure yeah. and the ability when things break down on the offensive line and still being able to make a play. So tell us about uh, that feature from Matt Zollers.
3: So we kind of covered a, a lot of it because it, it it is the impetus of scrambling, right? So the the signal for a quarterback to scramble is pressure or coverage. And, you know, there's a lot of he's on a high school team either guys are blitzing him because he's a quarterback that can throw the ball. And so you can't let your defense just hang out in a simple coverage for him to read, or, you know, you have, you think you have an advantage up front. So he's under free runners and pressure up the middle quite a bit. And he has a good ability to make players miss in the pocket and you project you know, strength and development, allowing him to do that at the next level as well against better athletes. You know, again, you don't want to rely on that because eventually you'll run up against a dude at Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Washington, Oregon, somewhere. You're going to run up against freak defensive end that's faster than you. But you like the building blocks of a guy who can manipulate the pocket. He can, you know, that that little deke that you do in the pocket to sidestep a guy, he runs by you, then you get out of the pocket, like those instincts and those abilities to slough off pressure are there. So then it becomes again about projecting that talent to the next level, and you like the fact that when that happens, he breaks contain and then gets his eyes downfield, and he has an awareness of where his players are supposed to be, He and then gets the ball to them. There, there's just the, the one area I would say, based on, again, this is just his highlight tape and something I want to see going forward. If he does commit to Penn State or if we get to the point where it's serious and I dig into the full film, how does he read the defense? Because a lot of his highlights are my receiver runs straight down the field, blows by a zone coverage that shouldn't work, but this is high school, so I just toss the ball 50 yards and he gets a touchdown. There's a lot of those plays, a lot of these extended and broken plays. There's not as many plays of him reading a complex coverage, and by complex for his level I mean a zone coverage of any kind and then hitting that player in stride in a window there are evi- there is evidence of it it is on film but it's on the back half of the highlight tape and that's just one of those critiques of like maybe move this one up because I want to see you operate hit zones and even if it's not a touchdown after the fifth time I've seen you shred a defense with your physical skills, I want to see something different. I want to see you beat them differently, and that's an area where he showed it, but it's just less consistent on his film. So what is that like? How does he read a defense? Because that's the next aspect of what is his curve to the next level. What are the, some of the things from a mental aspect that we need to look for with Zolers?
2: We have a couple minutes left. Let's shift gears. T. Frank Penn State got a new commitment this week. Alex Tash, mm-hmm. a linebacker. Tell us about Alex.
3: Uh, I think he's a Mike linebacker. So I know we've talked a lot about Sam, Mike, Will, where do these guys fit? Penn State recruits, essentially in my mind, two kinds of linebackers. Uh, guys that are gonna play Will eventually, or guys that should probably play Mike. And Sam, you, you start out at that Sam position, you develop physically, and then you're ready to play in the box. And then you're a Will with all that athleticism, size, and speed. Tash is 6'3", 215 already. And from a Penn State perspective, from a Micah Parsons to Tony Rojas recruitment timeline, Tash doesn't have those athletic skills, but he's a good mover. He, he's athletic. He's fluid. I don't know that he's explosive and hyper fast but i could see an area where he develops physically and he gets faster and plays that mike linebacker position which is much more between the 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 tackles much more contained of i need to take on blocks i need to attack downhill and then i play in my zone coverages and i'm a quarterback spy i think he can operate that role very well um there's an avenue where he could play well you know guys develop differently and sometimes physical development and and some of those things from even a mental standpoint can make you play slower if you've been trained that I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read, and then I'm gonna react and fill, instead of like read and then react. There's some, there's there's a couple of different factors here that make him look to me a little bit slower, a little less explosive than some of the guys they've recruited, but I can also see where a lot of that, when we get testing numbers on him, could all be a mirage in a certain sense. So a good football player that has a lot of room to grow, and I think a, a good add to the class of 2025.
2: Very good, T. Frank. That is going to have to be it. Thank you all for checking in with us. Make sure you join us again next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Maybe next time T. Frank will have on his Buckeye shirt. We'll have to see.